Okay, so guys, welcome back to Man's Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. We've reached episode 70 today, and I'm with a very a very scary-looking individual. When I first saw him on Polaris... I saw you on Polaris Squads at first, and you had the crazy expression on your face. I'm like, Jesus, fuck, this guy, look, this guy looks like a lunatic. <laughs> Adam Ad said, what's up, Adam? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, man. I mean, I don't think I've ever been called a uh, look mean. I'm only 64 kilos, so uh, I'm only small. Jesus, fuck, what... And you were in the 75 division at that event. Like, how how did you swing that? Did you wear a really heavy gi or something, or just eat a big breakfast? Uh, well, I mean, they, they you know they kind of struggled to kind of get people, and um, they had a few dropouts and a few injuries and things. So, um, I've been on that'll be the third time that I've been on Polaris, and uh, the promoters messaged me, and I know when they're gonna ask me to do it because they just sent me like a one line message, and it just said. Uh, how much are you weighing at the moment? Like, I know spoke to him for ages, and I was like, I was in the middle of, like, shopping or something, and I was like, oh, they're going to ask me to do squads. I knew straight away. And I messaged back, and I was like, I'm 64 kilos. I'm pretty much 64 kilos, 365 days a year. My weight doesn't really change that much. And um, and they were like, oh, well, we're, we're looking for someone for under 75 kilos for the for the squads. And uh, and I said, I said, I'm game, man. You know, like, I know it's a big weight difference. And obviously, you could have been fighting the 95 kilo guys as well. Like, nobody knew. But, um, you know, I said, look, you know, I, I'm up for it if you, if, if you need me. And they actually turned around and said, you're too light, um, which is understandable. Um, but I said, look, I'm sending them a message back. And I, and I said, I'll do it for no money. Um, I'll do it on a week's notice because I was already ready. You know, I've been training and stuff and staying sharp. And I said, and I'll fight the biggest guy in the other team. That's all I said. And uh, the promoters then kind of put that into the group chat with the current team. And then a few of the team members were like, yeah, we need this guy on the team because, I, I you know, that's what jiu-jitsu is about. It's like stepping up to the challenge. And, you know, I uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. And um, even though we lost as a team, and um, it was a fantastic experience. Mm. Uh, man, I like I didn't see the first squads events. Like I watched it after the fact, but then like uh, I, I was I was I think it was on like a Saturday night. I was, I just had nothing to do, so I was like, oh yeah, squads two is on, and Jesus Christ, that was a great event. Man, how did you find the the format of it? Like, the, did you prefer it to other sort of events, or was that like uh, favorite one? Or I mean, the, the format is is very very different. So you know, from from a lot of people have asked me this, and. Um, Obviously, the uh, the shorter rounds are, um, the, you know, the five-minute matches. So, especially at Black Belt, like, you know, you've got very little chance to kind of, uh, uh, you know, do much. It's, they, they go so quick, the matches. And, you know, one mistake and you've, you've lost the whole match or potentially you're in a position where, you you know, you're stalled out or you're under side control or someone's got your back and then you're just defending. And, and um, so it's exciting from that point of view. Like, the matches are so short. Um, personally, I like longer matches. Um, I don't know. I, I just think a lot of black belts do. It takes them a little while to get into the game. Um, but I think from a fan point of view and from a spectator point of view, the, the, the short matches were great. Um, you know, I put some posts up about it around um, a little bit after the event. Like, it was the most nervous I've been for competition in 15 years, you know. And I think the the it was more excitement at the same time. I think the the good thing about it is, uh, you know, you know, you don't. It's so exciting. You don't know when you're going to be competing. You don't know who you're going to be competing against. So you're literally sat on the edge of your seat for the whole time. Whereas, like, if you're doing an IBGF competition 
or even like another like super fight. You know, when I've done Polaris in the past, it's just one match. You know, you know the order of the fights. You know you're going to be on in three fights, in two fights, in one fight. Um, so there's a lot of different dimensions that kind of make it uh, super exciting. And I think I think it's a, a good format for spectators. You know, I had a lot of people at the gym and also just from around the UK and, and further afield who, who messaged me, who said, look, I watched this with my wife. I watched this with my girlfriend and uh, they found it exciting. They could they could understand what was going on which is not always the case with the big, you know, long 15-minute, 20-minute super fight matches or watching IBGF tournaments and stuff. It's very difficult to understand the rule set unless you're kind of training the sport. So I think it's definitely progress for for, for the sport. I, I, I'd like to see more of it, and I'd definitely do it again. Mm. Now, see, seeing as we're a bit after the fact, is there... Because I know you didn't get to fight everyone. Not everyone got to fight everyone else in the other team. Is there anyone that was on the other team that you wish you could have gotten a crack at? I mean, I mean, I'm a big fan of the the Wolfin House, you know, Wolfin Academy guys. So like Espen and, and Tommy Langaka, like um, you know, th- those two are phenomenal. They're doing great things uh, on the scene at the moment. Um, you know, it'd been great to compete against one of those guys, but uh, you know, I think both would have smashed me pretty quick. So maybe maybe it's best I didn't fight him. <laughs> Uh, did, did, I can't remember. Did you get to fight uh, Adam Vorzinski or? No, no. I fought Leo Larman in the in the first half, and then the second half I fought uh, Tommy Paul Cannon from from Finland. Ah, okay. Oh, man, I, I got to train with Adam one time. Like, I'm sick, and I didn't get to roll with him because I was rolling with other people, and everyone else called him first. Like, you, you, you know, it's the dip thing. I'm fucking sickened about that. But uh, you know, similar situation. He would have just killed me. He would have killed me even quicker because I'm not a fucking you know. High level grappler like some people. <laughs> He's great. Man. I really, I really like his style, and um, you know, I, you know, like I've known about his game obviously for a long time, but you know, seeing his butterfly guard stuff in action on on the show, like I came back and I bought his DVD straight away, and it's it's really good. Like mm. highly recommend. Oh, dude, yeah, there was just a discount on uh, Butterfly Guard Rediscovered too. I'm like, yoink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just fucking lazy, and I like half Butterfly Guard because I just can't be fucked a regular one since I'm very, very, very lazy. <laughs> so, Adam, what's it? So, man, uh, where are you from and where are you train in case someone wants to go get around with you sometime? Yeah, so, um, you know, my gym, I'm from Stockport, which is in Great Manchester. Um, I run my own gym called Factory BJJ, and uh, we've been open for 12 years now. And uh, yeah, I mean, besides obviously the whole kind of pandemic thing, like, you know, we're a very welcoming gym and we, we you know, we love kind of having visitors and it's, uh, it's a shame we can't do that at the moment. But, you know, hopefully things will kind of move forward and uh, I'm easy to get hold of, you know, get people can get in touch if people are in Manchester or fancy a little bit of training or, or, or whatever, like they can always come by and, and uh, drop in for a session for sure. Mm, 100%. I mean... Was there anything else you trained before starting jiu-jitsu or did you just start jiu-jitsu and that, that was that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, that was it for me. Like, um, you know, like I'd, I had a a friend who, who lent me uh, UFC 1 and, um, and it was kind of no looking back after that. Like, I'd played football for years and, and, and done the kind of usual thing that kind of kids do growing up, like different activities and things. And, and it just happened that this guy was like, he was already doing like, karate and a few other things and he let me uh ufc one and i just kind of fell in love with the the idea of like a little guy like being able to kind of use techniques and martial arts to be able to beat a big guy 
Um, I didn't really want to do MMA, especially if you watch those early UFC fights and shows. Like they were brutal, like no rules and things. But um, but the jiu-jitsu excited me. So uh, yeah, thankfully it was the first martial art I ever did, and um, so no bad habits or or, or uh, anything like that, or, or injuries as well. Like you know, so many people start with um, you know, with me who've come from other martial arts or other sports like rugby, football, things like that, running, com- you know, competitive, like weightlifting, whatever. And they've got like bad habits, bad posture, like injuries. So I kind of, I was kind of in a really fortunate, like I started at 19 years old, um, which is a little bit older than, than a lot of people start nowadays, but like still uh, it, it kind of gave me a good crack at it, you know? Mm. I mean, see when you were saying uh, you, you borrowed UFC one off your man, I thought you meant the, <clears throat> Sorry, judgment the game on PS4 UFC one. I'm like, how how fucking long has he been training? If he's got if he got in because of a PS4 game, I'm like, what? Uh, but now then when you said it was the DVD, I'm like, oh yeah, like I, I forgot they're on DVD. But then man, it wasn't even DVD. Is all it was a VHS tape. It was old school. This is 2003, man. Like this Jesus is way back. Fuck. Oh man, see, I, I'm, I'm get this. I'm sort of, I, I got to experience. I'm only 21 years old, but I got to experience fucking VHS because I know my parents still had one, and we still had videos when I was growing up. So I'm like, I know, fuck DVDs. These aren't as fragile. So, but doom. Yeah. Uh, plus, you know, like I still have one to this day, and I like, it's sort of what's it, um, surreal. Look, putting something in and seeing like uh, the grainy fucking effects on the top when you're rewinding it. That's and if, especially if the thing doesn't age well, if you took very shitty care of the tape. And then one other thing, I'm very big into this, is um, <clears throat> watching the old sort of ads and commercials that were on the thing at the time. So it can sort of put in the in a time capsule. So like, oh yeah, this is what was coming out around then. So that's fucking, you know, brings you back back in time or some shit to a certain extent. I I love stuff like that. Like um, I've been kind of sorting some stuff out recently, and I've got like a load of old kind of magazines and like. You know, different things like different, you know, um, martial arts magazines and things like that and, and, and some music ones and things. And like just looking through the adverts and seeing seeing what like was around, it's, it really kind of, I think it's cool. It's like historical kind of like documents and the same with the VHS. Like if you watch those old videos, like the adverts that are around that time, it really kind of dates the era that, that it was in, you know. Mm. Oh man, did you ever consider buying like a magazine rack and like, if you have, do you have like a waiting area in your gym for people yeah. to sit down? Like, put the magazine rack next to it, so they're all like, "Huh, Kung Fu Shaolin shit? What's this?" Those them ads yeah. in those fucking magazines are ridiculous. Where you buy like uh, nunchucks with sides on the end, or fucking yeah. spears with shit on it. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite ones was the um, in those old school magazines was like you could buy these like jeans like which had like elasticated like a crotch so you could kind of kick people things like oh my that. god is that chuck norris action jeans no yeah. fucking way man please tell me you got yourself one of them <laughs> i haven't but like i'm sure somebody listening out out there could probably make them maybe they should bring them back for grapplers so they can do like ju- street jujitsu <laughs> like do some cool guard stuff in a pair of jeans <laughs> oh man because yeah I-, I could do one of them because i was at a house party with a few of my friends one time and you know a few of them done jujitsu and I was like, oh, dude, you know, I got, when I get really drunk, I just want to do jiu-jitsu with people. So I was like, oh, dude, I'll show you fucking this weird knee bar from X-Guard. So I do this fucking, you know, knee bar from X-Guard, and I tear the fucking groin on my pants, on my no jeans. Way. I'm like, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you need a pair of these Chuck Norris 
uh, elasticated jeans. <laughs> well, man, those are my work jeans because I went in after work. I'm like, well, shit, I got to get a new fucking pair of jeans because I was off for like a day or two because of my shift. I'm like, I got to get a new fucking pair of jeans in like a two, in like two days and no one's <laughs> open right now. Fuck me. <laughs> oh, man, it's crazy right now. That was not fun. <clears throat> uh, man, was there anything in particular you struggled with in your early days of training? Was there a certain technique, concept that just wasn't sinking in for you initially? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of my guys and, you know, people that have trained with me and stuff, they, you know, they don't realize, like, I'm almost 17 years in and, and I've trained jiu-jitsu for, like, full-time for, like, over 10 years now. So, you know, people think that, for me, like it came natural, but I was the most unnatural person. I've tra- I still train all our intro class, like beginner day one people. And like, I'm so, so much more unnatural than any, anyone I don't, I think I've ever trained. You know, I didn't know my left or my right. My coordination was bad. Like I didn't take instruction well. Like jujitsu was hard, like for me to, to even get my head around at first. And then considering I was so much smaller than everybody else, like, and the training back then was a lot more, like a little bit more hardcore, you know, a little bit more kind of, unstru- you know, unstructured and 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 what have you. So, looking back, I don't even know how I stuck it out for so long because I really struggled with the basics. I really struggled with getting my head around connecting techniques and building a game, and then compare and then adding on top of that the fact that I was the smallest guy in the gym, and it was uh, it was difficult. But I, I guess like. I persevered. I was stubborn. I'm a stubborn person, so I stuck at it, and then uh, thankfully, kind of came through it. But yeah, it definitely wasn't easy for me. Mm. Oh, well, man, it never, never is easy, but <laughs> it's always worth it. <laughs> Worthwhile for sure. Yeah. I mm. uh, see. Like, here's the thing with me. Like, uh, I started when I was 17. Like, I did, I did shit all for any anything for the rest of my life. I did like uh, karate for like a month. I didn't even get a white belt in karate because I quit it so quick. Because I was like, oh fuck this <laughs> shit. This is so stupid. Like, I remember one night we got to, like, mess around with, like, foam swords, just batter each other. I just went around battering everyone with it. I'm like, well, this is the only fucking class I've ever enjoyed, so screw this shit. But, man, like, you know, I never really found a reason to stop. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like uh, I like this shit today. And then the next day, I'm like, oh, I don't like this move. Uh, but the next day, they'll teach something they do like, so, uh, fuck it, who cares? You know, it's all good. <clears throat> and, man... What was your first sort of uh, experience in competition? Like, uh, how, how'd it go for you? I always love people's first competition stories. Oh, man, like, oh. I've not, not told this story for a long time. There's a lot of people who, you know, especially my guys will be hearing this probably for the first time. But I competed about six months in. Um, you know, people don't, obviously not at the moment, but, like, people don't realize, like, how lucky they are, even in, in the UK and, and in Ireland as well, like, how many com- more competitions there are. Like when I started training, like there was, um, there was kind of like one or two competitions a year in the UK, and uh, they were usually like they used to do one at the Seni, like a martial arts like expo in Birmingham, and then like do one in London. So, for you know, for me at like nineteen years old, like no money, like you know, a really kind of old car, like I couldn't be driving to London or Birmingham. I didn't have the money to do any of that kind of stuff. So, um. Every now and again, they do these like interclub competitions, and uh, I jumped in on one around after about six months. Um, it was over in Bolton, and um, it was one of these things where it was just open. It was like under over seventy-five uh, kilo, like white belts. Like I didn't even know like 
what the rules were like it was just in someone's gym and um we got there and everyone was super heavy like it wasn't there was no people didn't even weigh in it was just like on site and i was like i'm 64 now but i was like late 50s then and um it was i was super nervous for sure but like um i understood a lot about uh, i learned a lot from that and and uh, I, I actually won a couple of matches and i am um, People are not going to believe this, but I hit like a flying triangle in, in, in one of the matches. And um, a lot of people ended up um, kind of complimenting me on that in, in uh, afterwards. But I got to the final and uh, so I won a couple of matches, got to the final. And uh, I, I spent most of the match like caught like in it. This is before knee reap and I was playing guard and my foot was like right across the guy's hip, like completely reaping like his, his knee and everything. But he had me like pinned up against the wall. Like the referee didn't even move. It was like I was waiting for the guy to like move, like the referee to move me away from the wall. It was like some old school like UFC like stuff. And they never did. And uh, and the guy like literally just had some kind of like hold on my neck and I was trapped. My like hip and my knee was like getting tweaked and I just had to tap. And I was like, oh my God, like is this competition? I was super marked up. I, I have got a picture somewhere like of, of my face because like it was just brutal. Like and again, I look back at these things and think, you know, how the hell did I, uh, you know, do that? And then think it was going to be a good idea to do again. So I actually didn't compete for a few years after that because it wasn't that much going on. Um, but then thankfully kind of start doing some more of the organized ones rather than the kind of like fight club, <laughs> like in the club. <laughs> but it was, uh, it's all part of the journey, right? Yeah, man, Jesus, fucking, we are so spoiled nowadays because all the tournaments are super organized. Like, yeah. I, I, Daniel Strauss in the last episode, he was telling me about his first tournament. It was like, it was just a ground grappling tournament. It was like just a Nawaza tournament. They just start on their knees and they fucking sweep or throw each other. And if you submit someone, you just start again. And just if you submit them again, you win. I'm like, so what? Right. You submit someone, you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't count. Do it again. <laughs> what the fuck? But the, the way it is now is fucking complain however you want about oh this rule is, this rule set is stupid that rule set is stupid oh that these refs are biased against this fucking affiliation it's still way fucking better than it was yeah definitely I mean I mean the, the I think the thing is as well like for for most people you know unless you're doing this for like a living and you're trying to make a name for yourself or you want to like get to a really high level as a competitor and then transition to MMA or whatever. Like, really, man, like, I, I've always been dead. That's why I do these competitions and jump in and things, because realistically, whether you win or lose, is it, it's not really that important. I don't, like, the next day, after it's happened, I don't care. Like, I have the same feelings about a competition, whether I've won or lost. And um, for me, like, the biggest benefits is, like, the six, seven weeks, whatever, like, before competing, how focused your training is, like, how much you learn about your game. And then, obviously, how much you learn from, from the competition. It's super cliche, but, like, that's the stuff you're going to carry forward. Like, you know, I don't have any of my medals up. I don't have any of my, I just in a box somewhere. Like, you know, I think a lot of people look too much about that, like the, the reward itself that you get, like a gold medal and not, not enough about like how much you improve and what lessons you can take moving forward, you know? So, so for me, like, that's why I've always, you know, enjoyed competition. And that's how I tell my guys, like, it's not about the result, you know, it's about the, the journey again is cliche but i i totally believe that mm. 
No, I get you. See, like I, I always watch Chewie's videos and he brought up a very interesting point one time. He's like, so many people are focused on being the guy who's competing and winning the gold medals. How about you be focused on being the guy who's competing? Because so many people don't even compete because they're, they're scared and they're fucking nervous or they're all like, oh, people are going to judge me or they're going to fucking be an asshole to me if I lose. Like, like... I can say with absolute certainty, like, I've lost a lot. I get my ass kicked in competition the whole fucking time. I got submitted in 14 seconds one time. Not fun. I can say only one person has ever given me shit because I lost, and it was someone who didn't even do jiu-jitsu. So I'm like, well, um, why, would, why the fuck does your opinion matter then? Yeah, 100%, man. Like, you know, I think that's the good thing about jiu-jitsu competition. Like, no one goes undefeated, and, and, and you know, even, even on any given day, like at a big IBJF tournament, like, you know, 50% of people lose the first match, you know, and then another 50% of the next lot lose the second match. So very few people go undefeated, like even even at, at one tournament. And um, yeah, I do think people are a bit get a bit too caught up on like trying to be the guy to, to you know, be like a Gordon Ryan or, or, or someone where like they go long periods without, be, you know, being undefeated, you know, being um, tapped out or, or whatever. Like, but realistically, Man, like your white belt competitions get you ready for your blue belt. Your blue belt gets you ready for your purple and so on, so on, so on. So, you know, realistically, for me, like, you know, I competed a lot of like purple belt and brown belt and stuff, um, especially at brown belt. And um, even now looking back, like, you know, I, I, I won the, um, the Nogi Euros at brown belt. And, but it doesn't mean, it means nothing to me now, like, because black belt for me is all that matters. And they're going to be the only ones that I'm going to look, look back. I don't look at blue belt competitions or why I did a white belt anymore, but people kind of put too much focus on like the current, uh, you know, like here and now, where realistically, if you're a white or a blue belt, man, like you should be competing. If you want to go down that route, if you are a competitor, again, it's not for everybody. And thinking like how how these matches and these camps and training kind of uh, experiences are going to help you kind of progress to 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 do better at the next belt level and the next belt level because black belt's the only one really you're going to look back on I think. Mm. Oh man, speaking of competitions, do you have a preferred rule set to compete under? And if you just say, if you say squads and it's just a whole retread, I'm going to go fucking crazy. I'm like motherfucker, no, no, no. you just love squads. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, squads was fun, man. Like, like we said before, but like, I'll be honest with you, like, it, um, you know, I, I like the IBJF rule set. You know, I think, I think it's one of those where, like, a lot of people complain about it, but look, everyone's in the same position, everyone's in the same boat. Like, we all know the set, we all know the rules. We're not, we're not trying to like, uh, I'm not trying to kid anybody. You're not trying to like ebi style like where people can just hold on for the full match and then end up on your back at the end like i honestly believe like even though there are kind of downsides to the ibgf rule set at least it's a everyone gets a fair crack like everyone knows what's going on everyone knows the point system and uh yeah of course people are going to stall and people are going to try and win by the smallest margins possible but man that black belt especially 10 minute matches it's 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 tough and realistically like everyone's everyone's there to win so i don't begrudge people that do that i've had matches where people have said sorry to me apologized afterwards because they kind of like stalled me out on an advantage or whatever but look it's the name of the game like it's it, it is what it is and i actually really like the ibgf rule set and um yeah i think it's uh, it's not exciting to watch um but i think it's fun it's a nice chess match and there's a lot of kind of um there's a lot of intricacies to it and uh 
and yeah, that's that's definitely my preferred rule set. See, Dave's, I used to be like really against the IBGF. Like at every opportunity, I just shit all over them because you know mm. I thought, think they're greedy assholes. But they made a bit of uh, with the impl- implement implementation of Helux. Like I don't, they haven't brought it in yet, obviously, but they've said they will. You know, that's sort of gotten me going. Like maybe it's not too bad after all. What's your opinion on the, them bringing heel hooks in soon? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I thought it was inevitable. I thought they would at some point. I mean, realistically, that you know, they made that decision to try and compete with ADCC and obviously other other things out there. Um, and, and look, like you know, not everybody be, can be doing Polaris or can be doing like. ADCC trials or, or getting invited onto these big shows and things. So for, for people to be able to kind of practice um, like high-level Nogi uh, um, you know, matches and stuff with, with heel looks, it's, it's, a, it's a great idea. And I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's not surprising they've done it. Um, and like I said, like if you've been around long enough, especially brown and black belt and stuff, like, Man, like back in the day, I was saying, telling the story to somebody the other day, coincidentally, like we were heel hooking and knee barring, toe holding each other at white belt, reaping the knee, like, like slamming, like, you know, even like rounds with strikes and stuff with gloves on and stuff like back in the day, like that's how we all used to train. So, okay, the IBGF rule set is, is definitely a lot tamer than that. But like, if you're a black belt, like, man, or even a brown belt, like being able to deal with heel hooks and, and, and stuff is, and reaping is, you know, it shouldn't be a problem, you know. 100%, man. Like, you know, it, it gets, get this, it's sort of like a similar scenario. I say this the whole time. It's like, uh, say a white, say a white or blue belt, they fight someone in a competition who has really good wrestling or really good judo. I, I think the white and blue belts can complain about it because, you know, white and blue are still like beginner belts. But once you get the purple, brown, and especially black, if you're complaining about someone having good, good judo or good wrestling, you should have a counter to that by some by that point. It's like, come on, you're you're yeah, advanced, just, advanced belts. <laughs> just pull guard. That's what I do. Yeah, like man, <clears throat> like the, so, so what? They're they're good. They're good at grappling. So are you, presumably. So stop complaining. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, it's simple, right? You know, like, you know, competition in a nutshell is simple, right? You know, you want to get to your A game as quickly as possible. And if you can do that, then you're in a good, you're in within a good shout of, of, of uh, winning the fight. I've always taken that as a, as a mentality, even, even when I did squads a few weeks back. Like, people ask me about my mentality going into that, potentially fighting bigger, like, much, much bigger guys and much more experienced, better guys. And I've said the same thing to everybody. Look, I don't care who I'm rolling with. I don't care who I'm competing with. I know my A game and I know what I like to play in competition. If I can get to that position uh, quicker than they can get to their A game position, then I'm, I'm in with a chance. You know, you've got to be confident with that. And, um, and, and that's the same. Like, you know, if you're, if you're an inexperienced competitor and, you know, you've not got great wrestling or you've not got any uh, judo experience or anything, then look, you know, either get good at that or, or think about the game and think about how you can, you know, negate that with the guard because a lot of those guys are good at stand-up and takedowns and stuff. They, they're they not good with dealing with complicated guards in my experience. And then likewise, you know, if you're if you're kind of working against someone who's a really good leg locker, 
then you've got to be able to kind of negate that and get to your A game and, and, and make sure you you know you can you can get to a position where you could they can't leg lock you. But it's hard to leg lock somebody if you, if you're on the back, you know. So if you you know or if you've got them in the mount or 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 you've got them in a nice tight triangle or something. So it, it's all part of the game. People are always going to complain about the rule sets and and people are going to complain about exploiting rule sets and stuff. But that's a human human nature to do that. And even with like EBI, like like I said before, when EBI rule set came out. And I, I've fought under it, fought under it before, and um, you know it's it, it's one of those where everyone thought it was the new thing and it was going to be a game changer, and everybody was going for it. And then if there wasn't a submission, then they'd go to the spiderweb armbar or the guy take the back, and then very quickly people started exploiting it, and then we're just holding on for the full fight, and then realizing they could win a match by being super defensive and and stalling the match out, and then ending up on the other guy's back. So. You know, it's human nature to 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 do that, and um, um. So yeah, we'll just keep going forward with it, and but, you know, it's it, it's it's definitely kind of uh, at a moment when there's no competitions, on man, we'll take anything. I'll take any rule set to compete again. <laughs> so what if they floated the idea of EBI at you? Would you would you take it now? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. You know, like, I mean, I, I spoke to a lot of competitors, like quite high level guys. No one likes doing EBI, like e- even if they don't, um. Uh, publicly, publicly say so. I'm not talking about doing the EBI shows, like you know, obviously, you know, I'm not kind of bad mouth in the show, but a lot of reg- like high level competitors do not like doing that rule set because it can be unfair, you know, like if one person really stalls it out and then they end up in a, in a dominant position. So, um, but again, you adapt to the rule set. Like when I did, I did Polaris three, I did no uh, no gi match and. Um, you know, like I've not done heel hooks for probably, man, I bet like eight, nine, ten years before that. I had to quickly figure out like how to negate a lot of that game again because the game had moved on. But I didn't complain. I just adapted my game and uh, ended up in a draw. It's when they did draws in, 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 the, in the show. But, um, you know, I felt my heel hook game, uh, defense game was, was good. And I did that in a short period of time. And, uh yeah, man, it's jiu-jitsu. You've got to adapt, right? Always adapt into the rule set, to the changing environment, and to, you know, different sparring partners, bigger guys, smaller guys, better guys. So it's definitely the nature of the, the sport, I think, moving forward, always. 100%, man. So, man, what was the first sort of seminar you attended for, for jiu-jitsu? And do you remember what was taught at it? Man, first seminar. Hmm. Um... God, that is a good question. Um, I mean, I used to love going to seminars, you know, and I, I, I still do. You know, we hope we host people at the gym. Um, I do think there's still a really good resource for for kind of getting some good training and uh, picking up some cool cool techniques and stuff. Um, the earliest one I can think of um, was a Roger Gracie seminar uh, up in Bolton, and um, I'll always remember it because I was definitely a white belt. So it must have been within the first kind of year or so of training. And um, I always remember because he was like two hours late. So like we were all on the mat. It was like middle of winter. It was freezing venue. And then the the, the guy, that the promoter was like kind of like unsure when the guy was going to arrive. And then he started to get us doing some warm ups, doing some rolling. Still, still didn't arrive. And he arrived like two hours late. So we were all freezing at that point. Um, I can't remember any techniques from it, but uh, yeah, it was still cool to see 
see him in action and do you know I didn't get a chance to roll with him but uh I, I learned it's funny because you said before about um you know rolling with Wadzinski at the seminar uh two of my teammates who came with the seminar with me we were all white belts and they got to roll with with, with Hodge Gracie and I didn't and uh, um I missed the boat on that one and then after that seminar the one thing I I, I took away from that seminar up until now is is you got to ask you know like be polite you know but uh like if you don't ask especially at the lower belt levels they're not going to ask you to roll so ever since then i think i've probably i think i've got like a hundred percent success record that every seminar that i've gone to i've always ended up rolling with the guys that do it which is uh, always an ex- amazing experience and obviously as a black belt now it's pretty much a given that, that that's uh, that i get that so that was that was my first I'm 99% sure that was the first seminar that I attended and um and yeah but the thing I learned from it was to ask and you know make sure I uh, try and get a role with them mm. yeah man like whenever I've asked someone from a seminar they've never once said no like uh, whether it be like uh, Vitor Oliveira that was a really good one and I tried to knee bar, knee bar Vitor Oliveira and that was a mistake <laughs> that was <laughs> he just escaped it and just gave me this look like dude that was the worst knee bar I've ever seen in my fucking life. I could, I could just tell that by looking at his face because he was just sort of chuckling at me. And then uh, <clears throat> Fionn Davies, or old her, and she fucking wrist locked me in like a minute and I was, I nearly fucking cried. <laughs> <laughs> and then the worst one, well, or the, or the best, depending on who you ask, uh, Felipe Andrew. Oh my God. Oh. Uh, mind you, I was um, around um, 79 kg at the time and he was like, way bigger than that <laughs> and he uh, guess what he did uh, he flying triangled me <laughs> jesus fuck i'm like well like and he was the number one black belt in the world at the time so i'm like i don't know if i should feel uh privileged or violated because like that's fucked up <laughs> maybe a bit of both <laughs> a bit a bit of both as of that have you ever integrated something from a seminar so well it's become like a mainstay in your game um, I mean, always, man. Like, I mean, m- my advice for seminars, like, is I always just try and pick one or two techniques. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough now that, like, I know my game really well. So if I'm at a seminar and, like, I know that something is is, is going to fit well, I almost, like, just absolutely just bin everything else. I just go through the motions for the rest of the seminar. Um, I think a lot of people try and like digest the whole of it. Like if you go into a seminar, like three hour seminar or whatever, and there's like 20 techniques, like it's un- impossible for you to one, remember all the details and then two, be able to add it all into your game right now. Sometimes you need like six months, a year, two years. I've hit things like, or added things into my game, like five years later from a seminar that you know, I've I've seen again on a video or like I've trained with that person again and they've kind of shown a similar move. Sometimes things take a while to, to, to integrate, but like, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's such a, a good way of, um, like say, adding to your game. I'm trying to think like, I mean, there, there's loads, I mean, I'm sure, but like, um, I, I honestly, I used to go to seminars as many up and down the country, UK, especially because, you know, in the early days, it's how we kind of got more sessions in, and it's how we got more exposure to different styles of jiu-jitsu and stuff. But um, for me, like, I, I went to a few Mendes Brothers seminars, like, probably around, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine, ten years ago now. And um, 
that th those were the ones I think from a guard player's point of view, th those were the things that I added in a lot more. I learned some really nice details on on the De La Hiva guard and like the Birambolo game. So I'm a big fan of those guys. And uh, yeah, if I had to pick one, I think their seminars in terms of detail and um, technique that fit my game and body type, I think uh, the De La Hiva, Birambolo stuff, they showed at their seminars back in, I think, 2012, 11 or something that, those were probably my favorite ones. Mm. Uh, sorry, man. It's fucking cold in here. <clears throat> Let's get this. Since you brought up the Mendez so, brothers, they've they've made they've made they've annoyed the fuck out of everyone in my gym because of what, what they what I learned from one of their videos. This fucking like uh, you sort of bail over their half guard and get into anaconda choke. You, you know the one, like the aerial anaconda. It, man, mm -hmm. I fucking I love doing that. Like if they especially like if they frame when you're trying to pass their half guard fling Yarmad away and dive over for the anaconda. And I, I just love the anaconda choke. I love it so much that people affectionately call it the Andrewconda. <laughs> and that is, that is my greatest achievement, that, they're, that I annoy people so much that they sort of name a submission after me occasionally. Man, keep, keep building your game on that. I want, I want to see the DVD on BJJ Fanatics in the future. <laughs> no, man, I can't just do it. Like, it is a good name. Like, it'd be market, marketable. Like, okay, so guys, I'm going to show you the Andrewconda from bottom half guard and deep half and X guard. You may not think you might be able to do it from X guard, but I have to sell this DVD, so I'm going to show you some stupid shit anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's plenty of that, but... <laughs> yeah, man. Like, um, I, I, I have a shitload of instructionals. Like, I'm a big uh, connoisseur. Like, I probably should watch more match footage. Like, that's my one problem if I'm in, in research and shit. But see... There is some of the stuff in some of them that is like filler. It's not like uh, stuff they'd actually use, the stuff to pad out the runtime. So it seems like it's actually worth um, the money you put into it. Yeah, so, I think so. I mean, but then again, it's kind of like, like, like I said before, like, you know, it, 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 certain moves might seem like a bit more filler, but like it might, that, that filler that might help kind of fill a gap for somebody who, who needs it. And, um, you know, like I said, I think it, 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 there's no harm in like watching an instructional or doing a seminar and just taking what you want from it, like buffet style, just pick the bits and pieces. Because ultimately, like, there's no way you can watch a whole DVD and then try and insert that into your game straight away. I think you get, it's like information overload. So I generally, if I watch an instructional, I just watch one or two moves and then I turn it off. And then the next day, maybe, or the next week, go back to it and watch another couple of moves and stuff. And uh, I'm the same as you. I've got like, you know, I've collected hundreds of things over the years and there's so many I've still not watched. Um, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, um, it's definitely nice to kind of see that kind of side of things growing because now it's dig everything's digital. You can get it instantly. Like the DVD market, uh, it kind of died out a little bit uh, a while ago. Like nobody was doing instructionals, maybe even like three or four years ago. And BJJ Fanatics and then obviously like Keenan's doing the Jiu-Jitsu X stuff and, uh, you know, Grappler's Guide, like all great res resources. And this is it's cool to see, man. Like, like what other sport can you learn from like all these other like high high end coaches and and, uh, and, and athletes and stuff like it's amazing, I think. And it's uh, it can only be a good thing for the sport. Mm. Oh, man, what was the latest one you got, if you can remember? Because I, I have a nasty habit of buying instructionals. Like, I'll tell you this little thing beforehand. 
See, you know, yeah. on like BJJ Fanatics, there's like tier levels. Like, uh, oh, this is the blue belt tier. You get like a $5 coupon. This is the purple yeah. belt tier. You get like a $20 coupon. I get this. I was perusing BJJ Fanatics the other night, and I saw, I'm like, oh, if I spend another $15, I get a up to the brown belt tier and I'll get a, a $100 fucking gift certificate. I'm like, fascinating. <laughs> so I bought like an instructional for 15 quid just to get the $100 voucher and then bought some two, I got these two fucking really good ones for free then. I'm like, man, I'm a fucking sales genius. <laughs> good, man. That's a good, that's a good muscle right there. And the last couple I bought, I got bought after, after squads. Like I told you before, like, um, I bought the two uh, Adam Wadzinski uh, butterfly guard ones, and then I also bought the um, the Viking guards, so the Espen and uh, Langaka like uh, guards. So I'm a member of, like their online um, uh, kind of website, so I kind of see their videos on there. But it was kind of nice to be able to uh, um, good DVD, like kind of see it in in like a instructional format rather than just separate videos on the site uh, on the on the BJ Fanatics one. They put it well really well together so i like their style that kind of works well with me and i played a lot of butterfly guard over the years so to see what's take on it was cool as well some really nice additions and uh, i love that kind of belt like high like belt grip like he takes and uh he kind of hit that on uh aria in in, in the, the polaris squads and really nice way to kind of like get the the butterfly sweep if you can't get the uh the underhook or the overhook so yeah man they're, they're the last two definitely <laughs> highly recommend Mm. Oh, man, we got some questions for coaches and stuff here now. So, what's the first? What's the first sort of technique you'd uh, teach the beginners class? Like just day one, what's what would you teach them? And we te- we teach guard retention. Um, like all my guys coming through, and uh, we teach guard retention. And like you know, because I, I'm a sport jujitsu guy. You know, like you know, we we talk a little bit about self defense and stuff in 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 the uh, the intro classes because some people want to you know come to us for that, but. You know, I, I totally believe that, like, regardless of your um, point of view for, for doing jiu-jitsu, like, if you end up on your back, like, being able to kind of control the distance with the open guard, being able to kind of, like, follow the, the follow them as they move left and right, being able to control the distance and push them away and be able to do a technical stand-up and get back to your feet. Like, if I had to teach, you know, if I could teach everybody in the world, like, that one jiu-jitsu technique, it would probably be that. Because ultimately... If you end up on your back, as you know, and you don't know any jiu-jitsu, like somebody big, heavy, wanting to kind of get on top of you, whether it's wanting to pass your guard or wanting to attack you, like just having a couple of simple guard retention strategies, being able to keep keep them away and being able to kind of get back to standing is, is useful. So we, we teach open guard, session one. Uh, we teach like a tripod sweep and, um, and uh, yeah, a little bit of retention stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's always kind of worked well as a, as a foundation for, for mm. guys starting. Mm. Oh, man, what's your sort of coaching style? Would you emphasize drilling, rolling, or positional sparring? Like, what's your sort of take? Yeah, I, I like all three. Um, like, um, I, I really like drilling in terms of like advanced moves. Um, you know, we, we do we do the the regular timetable at Factory is the day class. We do kind of like five minute drilling rounds and then some rolling. Um, open mats are generally more just rolling. You know, like very rarely do people drill on them um then like we do our competition classes which are more like situational um drills and i think all three have got a place and and it's very difficult if you're working like matrix the crab ride like uh setups 
you're not going to just hit that in a roll. Um, so you're going to need to drill drill that. And likewise, if you're a beginner, like you need to kind of get the reps in and the muscle memory and, and build that. Um, straight rolling is always fun. That's the funnest thing to do for sure. Um, but again, like I said, if you're trying to specific parts of your game, like um, you need to kind of do specific training. And likewise, if you're a brand new beginner, you know, if you want to, if we're doing 90 minute uh, open mat on a Saturday when, and not many people are going to have the cardio and the, the fitness to be able to do every round and stuff. So being able to kind of break it down, do short rounds, do situational stuff, um, even within the classes, it, it, it's super useful. You know, back control versus escapes or guard versus passing or side control versus escapes or double guard pull drills or, you know, you name it. Like, I, I think if you're training a lot, like, uh, you know, I train twice a day pretty much. And um, it, it's nice to kind of vary it up as well. Like, I don't want to just do drilling all week. I don't want to just do straight rolling all week. I don't want to do s- just situational stuff. So for me, um, personally, and also as a coach, whether I'm teaching advanced guys or, or white belts, um, a good combination of the three is is where it's at. <clears throat> Man, that's a good answer, bro. See, Got a bit of a sort of a. Whenever I ask someone this one, they're all. It's always a thinker. So I'm just preempting you. It's um, what would you say is the most important value you've instilled in your gym environment? Wow, yeah, it's a good, really good question. Um, the thing that we're kind of known for, um, in terms of like our gym environment, is is being inclusive. Um, you know, like I try and lead from the front. You know, I, you know, I still compete and, and, I, and I totally believe about putting things on the line and having challenges and, um, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and stuff. But like, you know, you come to my gym and stuff like I'm not at the front barking orders and stuff like I don't lead the gym in that kind of way. I don't really believe in like that hierarchy and it kind of being, um, you know, like the advanced guys looking down on the white belts and stuff. So. We have a really cool, in my opinion, and a lot of people kind of will, will back me up on this. We have like a really cool kind of laid back environment, um, which I feel is is inclusive. So I try and, you know, make sure that people kind of remember where they came from. They Everyone came in, you know, they might be a purple belt now or a brown belt now, but they were a white belt who was struggling and was nervous and was, you know, maybe felt a bit shy about being in a group with people who all know each other. So the the thing I try and do is I, I try and be be as as welcoming as, as as I possibly can, and I try, and and thankfully people kind of see me doing that, and we attract a lot of other people who want to help and 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 bring people into the fold. So I, I kind of feel like um, when I visit some of the gyms and stuff, it can be can be a little bit clicky where like it's all the advanced guys or the coaches, and then you've got all the white belts and stuff. So. I, I feel like that's the thing I've tried to instill the most. And, and it's kind of one of the things I'm, I'm the most proud of with our gym, that we're, we're a welcoming bunch and, uh, and uh, we, we try and treat everybody the same. Mm. Man, that was a good answer. Because, man, it's like you said, there's a lot of click. People are like, oh, fuck the white belts, or we're only going to hang out with the other higher belts. or We're only going to talk to them when they train for like a year, then we'll talk to them. Fuck that shit. Yeah. I know. I, I, I totally agree, man. Like, we're all in it for the right reasons. Look, if you've been, I've been in this sport a long time now. Like, you know, I've got guys who are like white, who were once white belts, who are now brown belts or even black belts, you know, who have like come up through the ranks and, and, um, and, and are like my main sparring partners now. And are like, 
you know, good friends of mine. So you just don't know. Like, I think it's easy to forget sometimes. Like, sometimes when guys get to blue belt, more likely to purple belt. Like, um, Chris Howler, who, who's my coach, he, he always says, like, purple belt is a cocky belt. And I kind of agree with that. Like, purple belt, you know, you're kind of good enough to kind of trouble the coaches and the black belts. You've got a few kind of moves which work well against everybody. And, um, and you know, sometimes those guys can cause problems because they look down on the white belts and the blue belts. And um, and it's it, it's one of them where, like, yeah, you, you, just, you just don't know. Like, seriously, like, as a purple belt, some of these guys that are starting and, and they're maybe like one or two weeks in at white belt, man, like, in three or four years' time, you know, you might be a brown belt, but they might be a really good blue belt or a, or a new purple belt, and they could be one of your main sparring partners and a good friend of yours. And that's why, like, I always keep keep it open as much as possible, like, and treat everyone the same because you just don't know, like, how, how much these people can help you. And then likewise, you know, jiu-jitsu is such a powerful thing, as you know, for, like, helping people on and off the mat. And you just don't know where somebody is, man. Like... I think it's criminal. Like I, I'll tell you a story, right? So years and years ago, this changed my my whole kind of mindset on things. We had a get. We used to have like um, we still have a Saturday open mat, um, but we used to do. We started this Saturday open mat. And we had this MMA guy <clears throat> who came down, and um, he kind of just put it on put it on a couple of the white belts. Like happens, man. Like you know, people come in, they feel maybe a little bit insecure. It's not their gym. They want to smash you know, a couple of people to maybe kind of boost their ego a little bit. And these two guys never came back, right? I never saw this guy ever again, right? So this is an MMA guy, like, paid for the, the training, and um, he just did one session with us, you know, smashed a couple of white belts, left, and I lost two students because of that, right? And and one of them came back, right? The other one never came back. And I, I said to the one that came back, I said, look, man, like, you know, what happened? Like, we kind of missed you. Where, where, where did you go? And he said, that one sparring experience, like, absolutely put me off jiu-jitsu. Like, I just hated it. The guy absolutely smashed me. And, like, I felt really, like, you know, horrible and rubbish. And, like, self, and my self-worth went right down. And the other guy never came back. And I said to myself, from that day onwards, that I would always, like, make sure I say something if I see that happening or, like, you know, because, and I do, like, guys know that. I like, I, you know, I've got, I'm really protective for our guys. And, and I feel like if you're putting somebody off jujitsu, whether it's from smashing them, smashing them on the mat, whether it's from kind of like, you know, saying stuff online or commenting negatively on something they post or telling them that they did rubbish in competition or treating them badly on the mat, like ignoring them, like looking down on them because you're a purple belt and they're a white belt, like, Man, like you, you got no place at my gym, and you got, shouldn't have no place in jujitsu because we should be helping each other out. Like I always like the saying, like a rising tide lifts all ships. You know, we're in this together. Like not only as a team, but like as a wider community and as a wider martial art. And um, I kind of feel like that's that's one thing I'd, I'd love to see more 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 people do, not just at my gym, but like everywhere. Mm -hmm. Plus, see, I've started. That's a really good way to put it, man. But I've started notice that like. Uh... It's easier to be nice. It's actually you have to go out of your way to be a dickhead. Usually, yeah. like it's it's more effort and more fucking. It's more effort to be an asshole. So like it's easier to be nice. So you know, be nice. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Just be nice, man. You know, and especially look. You know, these. You know, if you're like say 
a little bit older or whatever like and these guys are like a lot younger than you at some point you're gonna you're gonna be on the down sl- slope and they're gonna be on the upslope and they're gonna catch you you know <laughs> if, you're nice, if you're nice to them now they might look after you when you're older <laughs> that's what i'm doing <laughs> oh man let me tell you see uh there's this fucking uh, old ass wrestler guy in our gym, and man, he's a he's a killer. He's so good at like, man, he'll fucking just fling you, and he'll pin the shit out of you, and he'll he'll hit you with shit that shouldn't work, but it does because he's been he's just been grappling for so long. Dude, like, dude every every gym every gym's got one, right? And man, <laughs> let me tell you, the sec the second uh, like uh, I I don't I I was able to catch him a few times, but that was like a very rare occurrence because you know he he's a. He's not super old. He's like 45 and he's, you know, he's an older gent. He looks way older than he actually is. But like, uh, I was able to catch him one time in a footlock. And I'm, it's, he's, he's, he's lucky he's so nice because if he wasn't, ah, I would have ripped his leg off. But man, since he's so nice, when I got him in that, like, and also, oh yeah, I forgot about this little tidbit. He sort of fucked up his foot. So he's wearing wrestling shoes. And then I remembered at the last second, oh yeah, this is bad foot. Maybe I shouldn't rip it, rip his, heart, his leg off. <laughs> Fuck it, fuck me. <laughs> but I considered it for a second because of all the torment he put me through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've done a little bit of rolling and stuff in boots, like, um, over the years. Not much, but, like, yeah, when, when someone puts a footlock on you with wrestling boots on, man, it's hard to slip your feet out. Like, it's horrible. <laughs> oh, it's just so ridiculous because no one else... It was in gi, mind you. No one else was wearing wrestling shoes, but since his feet were sore, he was, and he, he just stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> you, you just... He ragged on his ankle, right? No, I did because he was wearing wrestling shoes. I'm like, and he's and he was nice to me, so I'm like, yeah, let's let's Good. not put this foot off. Oh man, I got the last question here for the coaches. Is there any sort of advice that you'd give to future gym owners? Any pitfalls that they should avoid? Any mistakes that you you've made that you say don't don't make this mistake? Yeah, I mean it's. Um... I mean, I get, I get asked a lot about running a gym and stuff. And I think, um, you know, you know, people kind of see what, what I've got, the setup that I've got. And, um, and people kind of want to jump. It's the same with jiu-jitsu, right? They want to jump to the end point, you know. And, and I think the biggest advice for me, like, uh, to future gym owners is just to start small and manageable and kind of go from there. Like, I started with, like, six guys and, like, a similar amount of jigsaw mats you know like and then built up from there i just remember like buying a couple of mats every few you know months or whatever whenever we had any extra money and then just slowly organic organic growth is is the key like you know you don't want to be kind of like inundated with loads of people and it, okay it's it's good for business but you want to be able to kind of do things in, in a manageable way and um don't rush. Same for jiu-jitsu. Like, don't be looking at the super high, complicated moves. Like, start start realistically, fundamentals, and and build up from there. Like, there's no rush. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice, man. Like, don't be in a rush to kind of like get to the to the end. Enjoy the journey and uh, and do things small and grow things small organically. From teaching to building a gym to mat space to all those kind of things. Hundred mm, percent. Now we got some questions off the Instagram. I was telling you about this earlier. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, our uh, our mutual friend who's been on the podcast before sent these in. Yeah, uh, every most people probably know who who we're talking about, but we're just gonna make you. We're gonna leave the ambiguity there. 
So, man, uh, this guy asks, what's his best achievement on Skyrim? <laughs> My best achievement on Skyrim? Interesting. So, so if you don't know, Skyrim's a, I, I'm not a game at all, but, like, you know, since lockdown and stuff, and obviously I, I'm still training, but, like, not as much. I, like, borrowed a, a PS3 uh, of uh, one of the guys at the gym and uh, got Skyrim. It's just a, a huge, like, expansive game. What is my biggest... Uh, like, I it's funny because, you know, I'm a hustler. I like running business. I like to, like, um, get loads of uh, either, like, weapons and things, like, either that I've found or stolen on the game and then sell them, which is, like, super boring. Like, not killing dragons or anything, like... I'm basically running a business and hustling uh, um, uh, in an imaginary game and trying to make imaginary gold coins. So, <laughs> super geeky, right? <laughs> oh no, man, I feel you. I fucking, I fucking love Skyrim. Like, man, get this. Yeah. Uh, this, I love this. My brother, he he got Skyrim way before I did. He got it on the Xbox 360, and then he got it on the PS4. But then I played it on the PS4 for ages because you know he was playing other games. And you know the platinum trophy when you get all over trophies, you get the platinum trophy. Yeah, I got that before he did. And Mister Make a Skyrim fan, I just lorded that over his head forever. Like ah, <laughs> I, I platinum Skyrim before you did. Man, I, I like I've been playing that game years. Like so, you know, I mean, I've not played it for a few years, but it's a classic. You can just pick it up. You can just you know just you know just do whatever you want to do. I think it's a good way to chill out and just kind of like have a little bit of a, an escape from i don't i don't like watch i don't have netflix or anything i don't have a tv i have a tv for my uh my ps3 right but like i don't watch tv i'm not a big film watcher so for me to kind of go on that for a couple of hours like after training or if i've got a bit of downtime like i love it man i still do i think i don't think i'll ever get bored of it <laughs> oh man you should try get a skyrim on the ps4 because you can get you can get mods, you know, it turns off the trophies, but you can change the game in a lot of ways, you know. You can, like, yeah. one of the things I liked, it made, you know, some of the smaller cities in it, like uh, fucking Winterhold and Dawnstar, it reinvigorates all of them. It makes them actually a decent-looking city. Because, man, those, are, those aren't cities, those are villages. They're fucking tiny. But it makes yeah. them really big and really expensive. And, you know, there's some that improved the NPC dialogue, the way they act, and another one that might not seem important, uh, lamp posts of Skyrim. It just litters the fucking roads with lamp posts. So if you're just walking at night, you can actually see what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. It's funny because um, you know, like some people are gonna be listening to this and thinking, like, what the hell are these guys talking about? But there's gonna be a small number of people who watch this who are gonna be nodding along. And yeah, I, I've not done any of the modding, obviously, because um, I haven't, I haven't got, only got it on PS3. But like. I've seen all the, I'm super geek about Skyrim, so I've seen all the YouTube videos, man. Some of those kind of like 4K renders and stuff like people have made of like, and just, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> man. Oh, dude, uh, just before we move on, your favorite faction in Skyrim, like straight favorite quest line faction, who you got? Um, I don't know, man. Like, um, I, I, I just keep it pretty pretty simple i i think i think um i don't know it's a tough one what do you like uh personally for me i fucking love the companions because you know yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, werewolf powers are fucking decent and then after i do the companions quest line go do dawnstar 
and then like because you actually get unique dialogue with the fucking vampires if you're a werewolf already like oh man i can smell the fucking werewolfism on you you fucking beast yeah i like i like those kind of little things like um like if you're like uh i can't remember which one it is maybe if you're like a, I don't know if you're certain when you depending on who who you pick at the start like when you go to certain cities and they kind of treat you differently right because it's like because you're kind of like a wood elf or something and you go to a city uh, you go to a different city where they don't like wood elves and they're like <laughs> you like turn their nose up at stuff. i like that it's pretty cool right mm. but yeah i like yeah. the companion stuff companions are good i'll go with that mm. Ah uh, man, don't you just love going to Windhelm when you're an elf and everyone's super racist to you? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah the, first, the first time I, the first kind of time I played it, I was, uh, I was, uh, yeah, that's what I did. I was like, oh my god, everyone's really racist in this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, settle the debate once and for all. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I've never seen it. I, I like. I'm so bad with films. Like I've seen. I, I obviously I have seen a film before, but like everyone says it's a Christmas film. So I'm gonna just go with the masses and say yes, Christmas film. Well, it takes place at Christmas. There's snow and there's like a jingle jangle thing at the start. You know, it may not be like. It's like a hostage movie set at Christmas. A Christmas movie, if in the loosest terms, if you want to be real, I, I I'll allow it. We'll allow it. That's it. How did how did Megaton describe how he wants his belt not to look? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what the fuck that means. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're gonna find out. Um, all right. So, <laughs> thank thanks for this question, Lloyd. Um, <laughs> so when we had Megaton Diaz, who's um, if you don't know, is Mackenzie Dern's dad. Uh, he did a seminar at my gym, and uh, he did. Uh, uh, there was a guy there who had. You know, like when you tie your jiu-jitsu belt, right? It should be in line with your hips. But like a lot of guys, like especially when they're not trained that very often or, you know, they've not done much gi and they tie the belt like north to south. So like, uh, you know, like so that, so it doesn't tie properly, but like it's pointing up. And um, and he said, oh, I was, I'm trying to be good on this because I'm, I'm trying to be, uh, uh, you know, I know there's some like, there might be younger listeners and stuff, but like he basically said, uh, you want to tie? <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. He said, "You want to tie your belt like so it looks like a pussy, and not like, <laughs> and not like a dick." That's what he said. <laughs> I'm like, there was kids in the seminar, like young, like teenagers and stuff, and he like called out this guy in the seminar who was a blue belt, like visiting from a different different gym, and um, he kind of like pulled him out and was like, "Hey, man." Like, why'd you tie your belt like that? Like, disrespecting the way that you, like, tie the belt. Um, you know, you're a blue belt. You should know how to tie the belt properly. I kind of agree. And, uh, but, yeah, he, that, he said that. And it just kind of stuck in my head forever. Like, but, yeah, thanks for that, Lloyd. I forgot about that story. So, um, good question. Oh, my God. That is, that's the funniest fucking thing I've heard in ages. Jesus Christ. He's mad. Megaton is mad. Well, <laughs> I say he's a party animal, right? You'd, you'd say he go, go crack in a pit a night out. Oh, dude, like, yeah, I, I kind of like heard stories like of him, like he kind of like rolls with like the Hell's Angels and stuff, like out in the US and stuff. Like, he's, uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy, and you know, man, like if you could get him on the podcast, that'd be a good one. Man, stay tuned, people. I may. If oh man, like I say, he's a bit too famous to get on because if you know some lowly meme account guy texts him, he probably won't even fucking see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, 
no, you, you know, why not? Like, go for it. Like, he's he's a, he'll be up for it, I'm sure. Like, just you can't you can't say that. Like, just try. Like, you know, if worst case happens, he says no, or or just ignores you or whatever. But like, yeah, man, I think it'd be a good chat. Mm, I'll look into it. <laughs> oh, man, we got the last question from from Lloyd here: How to build a successful BGJ business? <laughs> We probably went over this a bit, but just to say shit, Lloyd, uh, I'd say elaborate again. <laughs> How to build a successful BGJ business, right? Yep. It's interesting. Um, you know, I, I think it's quite simple, really. I, I, th- I think you need to put the focus solely on providing the best possible experience, uh, training experience that you can. All right. I think that's the simplest thing for anybody who's trying to build a successful gym. I think if you've, I've, I've done the opposite, right? Like if you're focusing on just earning X amount a year and having X amount of students, you get too caught up in, in the numbers and you kind of maybe make shortcuts or allowances to try and get the extra, you know, whatever it is money-wise or X amount of students. And I, I did that for a while. And um, I kind of revert back to just trying to make sure that from second one, when people come in the door, to the, sa- the last second that they leave. So whether that's like from an environmental point of view in terms of having a chilled out atmosphere, having a good vibe, like we talked about before, people looking after each other, you know, good quality training. So good varied mix of rolling, situational sparring, drilling, you know, good kind of lesson content. So it's all kind of well-planned and things work together, not just random techniques. Yeah, I think if you kind of focus on that kind of customer experience, like I I really don't think you can go wrong. And then that's when the success comes. Like people get attracted to that. People tell their friends, people stick around for longer and then the money comes and then you've got a successful gym and you can not only kind of live a good life from it, but then also you can help other people do that. You can bring people in, you can pay coaches, you can expand your, uh, you know, your uh, facilities and, and, and improve on that. So yeah, that is my number one advice. Build, you know, you know, your focus should be on, on, on providing the best customer experience. I know it sounds super kind of cliche and like super business, uh, but at the same time, I think if you do that, I don't think you can go wrong. Mm. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. And that's our segment, questions, questions from Lloyd, done. I might just ask Lloyd to send me in questions in future since they're so fucking good, regardless of the guest. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I used to live with Lloyd. I don't know, I don't know if, he said, if, he, if he mentioned it, but, like, yeah, we used to live together back in the day. And, um, yeah, he's like, he's like a, a brother to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, we lived together for a few years. And, uh, you know, he, he's obviously doing his own thing now and kind of running his gym. But, like... You know, I pretty much still speak to him every day, and you know, he he's uh, he's you know definitely been a big inspiration to me. It's been nice to be able to kind of corner him in different shows and stuff, and we still get on the mat when we can. And uh, you know, big shout out to Lloyd; he still inspires me, you know, to this day to compete and keep hustling. And uh, you know, he's a top guy. Hundred percent, man. Hey guys, check out my episode, Lloyd, if you're keen. Like, sadly, there's no segment where Adam sent me questions. But like, if I have Lloyd on again, I'll get a bunch of questions from Adam for him, 100%. so we can so we can uh, even out the uh, the table here. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking. I'm going to write some down this afternoon, and uh, just in case you ever get back on. <laughs> uh, definitely will, man. Okay, so guys, 
We've reached a segment of the podcast I like to call around the specifics, just a bunch of random questions, some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, Adam, do you want to do around the specifics? Let's do it, man. 100%. Uh, what would you say is your favorite gi in your collection, if you have one? Um, I really, really like um, the Scramble Athelite gi, which is a super light uh, scramble gi. You know, I compete in that, and um, for me, you know, make helps. Like the A1 is 1.1 kilos, and so it's great for me, man. It, you know, it saves me maybe half a kilo on some of the heavier weight gears. So uh, anything that I don't have to, if I can help not cut as much weight, I'm going to do so. But yeah, scramble athlete gi. 100%. Man, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with? <sighs> most famous person I've rolled with? Um... Oh man, so there's so many people. I mean, ah, I mean, probably Hafa Mendes is probably the best, the best guy, best guy, and the most famous guy I've rolled with. Mm. Man, I bet you Lloyd is shaking his fist in the air now. Man, why did he say me? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's Lloyd, famous. Lloyd is famous, or infamous, depending on who you ask. Mister Yorkshire Gripper, people might think he's a serial killer or something. But yeah, let's, 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 let's not talk about that. I gave him my nickname, by the way. Oh, dude, you should just be the nickname guy because that's a fucking wicked nickname. That's really good. All right, go on. What's the next one? <laughs> okay, man. Uh, what was uh, your favorite TV show when you were growing up? Man, favorite TV show when I was growing up. Damn. Oh, I'm kind of losing. I'm thinking now, like. Oh, I don't know. Pass. I can't think of one. <laughs> oh, you get no points for that question. There's no points anyway, but I'm just trying to rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, my mind's gone blank about TV. I've not watched TV in so long that I can't even like remember like like what uh, what it was growing up. It'll probably be some kind of cartoon or something. I mean, I like Ninja Turtles and stuff. Let's go for that, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll allow it. Retroactive answer, I'll allow you. it. And <laughs> <laughs> then, what was uh, your first video game console? What was your favorite game on it? Uh, my first was a Mega Drive back in the day, and um, you know the first the first game I remember playing on that um, Sonic the Hedgehog classic like super kind of fast paced and uh, I think every, every console came with that and uh, I remember being super happy with being a kid playing on that and now and you'll see this when you come and train with me at my gym like I have like a retro arcade machine at my gym and I've got it on there now so I've kind of come full circle on it <laughs> still can play on it. Jesus fuck, man. What sort of game is on there? Please tell me you have Street Fighter 2 on that. And it's like 150 games on it, yeah. It's loads. Oh, my God. Combat, all those kind of things. Oh, man. I tell you, here's the thing. Like, I love Mortal Kombat so much because Scorpion is in every fucking game and his combo list is, like, the same in every game. So if I pick up any game with Scorpion in it, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking win, man. Good. <laughs> I didn't know that. I think a little, little bit of trivia right there. Mm. No, you know, because he's like been in every single Mortal Kombat game, and his like move list is always just the same. Like for the spear, it's like forward back square or forward back X, depending on the console. But it's always that or down back X for the fucking teleports. It's always the same usually. He's good. I like Scorpion. Yeah, mm. uh, see, I prefer to look at Sub Zero, but playing a Scorpions is better for me because I I win a lot of my matches when I play a Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> And then, what would you say is your most embarrassing injury, whether it be a jiu-jitsu-related injury or non-jiu-jitsu injury? Just the way you got it injured was so fucking ridiculous. Man. 
Interesting one. Um, I mean, it's one of them. Like a lot of people as well, because because I'm I'm very active. Like in and um, people don't think I get injured, but I've I've like literally injured everything going. I mean, the the one that's coming to mind was actually last year at the European Championships. I got to the final, uh, master one uh, black belt, and um, and I was um, in the final. It was. I was down 2-0, I had a butterfly, and I had a grip of the, the belt, and I was trying to sweep this guy. Oh, man, I mean, the, the last 10 seconds of the match, like, it was so close, I was almost getting it. I was pulling, 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 trying to get it back to 2-2, two, two. and uh, I was pulling that hard with the, on the belt and trying to lift and use my hook. I actually, like, got a minor tear, like, in my rotator cuff uh, after that. It took me a good few months to kind of recover from it because um, I was, like, trying to yank this uh, the guy's weight up above me from there so um i don't know if that's the most embarrassing injury but like that's the one which uh it shouldn't have really happened i shouldn't have you know tore my rotator cuff by just trying to lift like pull, pull on the guy's belt but uh it was a stranger but you know in the heat of the moment it was kind of worth trying because uh i still lost the match but like at least uh, i tried hundred percent a man if you could ban any guard or position from competition what would it be and why Oh man! Damn, like um, I mean, like I say, I'm not against banning. I I don't like the idea of banning stuff, but from from you know, just from a purely kind of selfish point of view, like um, I I would probably ban um, probably ban fifty fifty. Like you know, it's, especially in the gear, can be really hard. Like especially if the person doesn't want you to do anything. Like um, they're holding on. Like it's very hard sometimes to get out of it. So uh, yeah, let's let's for the argument's sake, let's pick fifty-fifty. Mm. Oh man, because Craig Jones made a really funny video about like uh, how to win at IBJF, like how to stall, how to play the boundary. It was just a joke video. How to play the boundary, yeah. how to fucking fake your way through a drug test, how to celebrate after winning by an advantage. And especially how to sell advantages, like just throw on a half-hearted footlock from 50-50 and put on a really ridiculous face, like <clears throat> make it look like you're trying really hard and then the ref will give you an advantage. I've that. <laughs> I think everyone's tried that. I did it once on the back. Uh, I've done it a few times on the back, like be on the guy's back and like be absolutely tired, like, you know, be ahead on points, but like, you know, trying to like pull a few faces to try and make sure that the you know, you uh, you look like you're kind of working and stuff, and uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> oh man, here's a good one. Do you have any nicknames, like especially from uh, your boy Lloyd? Did he give you any nicknames? <laughs> you know what? No, you know, like um, no, no, honestly, no, no. I'm, I'm you know, I, I I got like um, I got a twin brother, so like uh, he doesn't do jujitsu or anything, but like. When I was a kid, like we were called like twinny and stuff like that, like because we were twins and stuff. But no, I never had a nickname. Never had a nickname, and uh, so maybe Lloyd, you can if you if you listen to this, you can you know do, re- repay the honor of me giving you a nickname, and you can give me one back. And it has to be as good as Yorkshire Gripper. If it's not as good as that, you can uh, uh, on your bike, Buster. I <laughs> uh, get this. Does your twin brother still look like you, or is it, or have he sort of stopped looking alike after a bit? Well, we're identical, so we do look alike. But he has like he's got a huge beard now, whereas I don't. So like mm. that kind of separates us. But yeah, we're, we're still we're still identical. Okay, I, I have an idea. Okay, so you like wearing white geese, I imagine that's your thing, because every every picture I've seen in you is in a white gee. 
Yeah, people say that, but you, like somebody said that to me actually yesterday. But like, I actually, I, I generally we had to compete in white for for Polaris, but I, I actually much prefer blue. But uh, well, go on. Okay, so you get your twin brother, you get him to shave his beard and shave his head, and you shave your beard and shave your head, so you're both like super tight and look identical again. You wear a white gi with your black belt, you give him a black gi with your white belt, and confuse the fuck out of people. Like, what is is that fucking uh, Adam from another fucking universe or some shit? Like, what the hell? Yeah, I thought about doing that. I also thought about like it'd be really cool if I um we did that, but like I just used him to like demonstrate on in the classes. Like I just like used him as a as a as a partner, and people might think that I've kind of like created or cloned like a, a me just to be able to, to like help me teach in the class. No, you know, it'd be a great idea. Have him train for a little bit, and then you two swap places, and you wear the black gi with the white belt, and then you just smash yeah. people. Like, how the fuck did Adam's brother get good so quickly? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah, I like. I heard like. Um, I won't say which gym it is because like I don't know if the guys are still fighting, but like I heard there was like two brothers who were twins and um, uh, uh, an MMA gym, and uh, one used to weigh in for the other one. So like, one would weigh in, and then the other one would fight. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fuck, man! Imagine if the Rutolo twins tried to pull something like that. Dude, I mean, I mean, they look a little bit different now. They kind of got different hairstyles and stuff. But I'm sure that that stuff's happened in the past. Like, you know, you know, if someone does a hard weight cut, and then the other one just kind of rocks up like five kilos heavier or something. Oh, motherfucker! All right, if you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Man, definitely. Uh, it'd be good to try and time travel now, like especially with everything going on. Like, um, let me have a think um i think it'd be really cool to like you know obviously i'm a big jiu-jitsu geek i think it'd be really cool to time travel and uh back to kind of like the start of like early uh brazilian jiu-jitsu you know like and um so and just kind of see see how if i could go back there at this level as a black belt and um and see see how it was compared to now like what kind of intricacies they were in the in in the moves and things like that so yeah that'd be pretty cool Mm. 100%. Man, do you have a favorite song that you like to roll to? Um, like, I, I'm really, like, into, like, instrumental hip-hop music. I think it's really cool to roll to. So, you know, I don't like, you know, I don't really like putting too many. I mean, in the competition classes, we'll kind of listen to a bit more, like, rap and hip-hop and stuff with lyrics and things. And um, But just for cool rolling, like, good ambience and stuff, like, Anything, any chill, we call like chill hop. Any instrumental hip hop is 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 cool for me. I lo- I love to roll with that that kind of music. Mm. Uh, so we re- guys, we reached the last question. Are you ready for the last question, Adam? What would you say? Yeah. What would you say is your jiu-jitsu spirit animal if you have one? Oh, that's a great question. Jiu-jitsu spirit animal. Um, I'm like. I, I guess, like, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, like, I, I, I guess it's got to be some kind of, like, little monkey, like, because I, 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 what are those kind of little monkeys called? The uh, marmoset monkey, let's go for that. Oh, I do, like, why are you a marmoset? <laughs> I don't know, like, that's the first thing that came to mind, like, I'm small, I think a marmoset monkey is small, let's go with that, I'm, that's my final answer. <laughs> <laughs> final answer, and that is... 
the right answer. So, okay, you've won Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or something. I, I, can't, I can't remember what reference I was going to make. <laughs> okay, so guys, reached the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. Follow Adam at Factory BGJ. Do you have a personal account as well, Adam, as well as the um, Factory BGJ account? I, know, I, I just use that one, you know, so at Factory BGJ for everything, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And, uh, yeah, like, thanks so much for kind of having me on. You know, you're doing good things. Let's, you know, keep moving it forward. And anyone listening wants to come and train at my gym after this kind of pandemic's over, doors always open. Come and come and buy and uh, let's have a roll. Hundred percent, guys. So be sure to follow me at Humans Jitsu, the account at Humans Jitsu Podcast. My co-host Shawnee Judo Jits and Con Gracie. And you know, if you have a suggestion for someone to get on, send it my way or an idea for a topic episode. We're all always open to suggestions. So, Adam, do you have anything to say before we shoot off? Yeah, just last thing, you know, uh, a big shout out to Scramble. I know obviously a lot of people listening to this will will know Scramble, but, you know, they support me and support my gym for a long time now. So, uh, you know, it's always good to kind of support the the brands and the and the, the, the different businesses that are within our sport and stuff, especially during these times. Like, I know a lot of them have been struggling, you know, so if you can shop local and, uh, you know, support those brands and, and, and make sure, uh, you know, you, you keep them going because it's uh, – those definitely are the ones that kind of help support competitions and and, and uh, support lots of different athletes who are trying to make it full time and uh, and different gyms to to kind of help uh, you know give back to to them as well. So big shout out to Scramble. Hundred mm, percent. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed. Oops.